Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast called Paranormal Exposed. This is an evidence-based podcast that looks into paranormal occurrences that happen here across the United States. I'm your host, Michelle, and while I am a skeptic by nature, I really do want to be a believer. I am both intrigued by the paranormal and open to the possibilities of what might be out there. So join me every Wednesday as I dive into a different paranormal topic and present to you what is real, what is not real, and what may just be in between. I will present both the historical facts and the paranormal reports, and we will see where the two meet. So join me in exposing the paranormal. This week, we are going 2,500 miles off the coast of California to the state of Hawaii. Now, Hawaii is made of 137 islands, but we are focusing on one of the big eight and the island of Oahu. This story takes place in the capital city of Honolulu and is the story of Morgan's Corner. I want to give a brief disclaimer that there are reports of both murder as well as rape in this episode, and there are actually multiple reports of suicide as well. Now, be aware of this as suicide is a difficult topic, and I want you to know that if you do need support, you can always call the National Suicide Hotline in the United States toll-free at 1-800-273-8255. If you don't feel comfortable talking with someone over the phone, you can actually visit their website at suicidepreventionhotline.org and chat with someone that way. Morgan's Corner has a very brief history, which you'll all be excited about. You don't have to hear me yammer on for quite a long time. Morgan's Corner is actually part of the road called the Nu'uanu Pali Road. Now, while it is called Morgan's Corner, it is not really a corner at all. How Morgan's Corner is situated is you will be traveling across the Nu'uanu Pali Road when you come across a sharp S-curve in the road. The hairpin turn on this road is pretty dangerous if you're not expecting it, and this hairpin turn is what Morgan's Corner is. Morgan's Corner was named after a man named Dr. James Morgan. He built his home on this hairpin bend in the road in the 1920s. It was a bit of a remote area at that time, not a lot of people around, so it was pretty much like, hey, that's Morgan's Corner over there, he's the only one who lives there. And it just kept that name and even keeps it today. If you want to visit Morgan's Corner, you have to be a little bit of an adventurer. It is closed to through traffic. So if you want to visit, you have to either hike or bike up to Morgan's Corner. But again, you are in Hawaii. It is beautiful year round. The weather is great. So why not take an adventure and find out what's going on at Morgan's Corner yourself? So there are quite a number of haunted stories that have to do with Morgan's Corner. I'm going to go through them one by one and give you the facts and any backup facts that I can give you on each story as I go. I'm going to start with the most famous story that is retold over and over again, and this takes place in the year of 1948. On March 10th of that year, there was two young men, 19-year-old James Majors and 21-year-old John Palakiko. 
They were both petty criminals who were serving time in jail and were actually working on a prison crew cleaning up the side of the road. Somehow during the cleanup process, they actually managed to escape and evade being recaptured. The next day on March 11th of 1948, the two convicts were out looking for supplies and they smelled the cooking in a nearby home. Neither men had actually eaten since the previous day when they were in prison and were starving. They also needed additional supplies, so they decided to break into the home at 3936 Pali Road. This was the home of a woman named Therese Wilder. Therese lived all alone, and she was a 68-year-old widow who actually lived across the curb from where James Morgan's house was built. Therese was actually originally from California, but had been living in Hawaii since 1922. When the two men broke in, they attacked Mrs. Wilder by hitting her over the head. Eventually, they gagged and bound her, and somewhere along the line, in the process of the attack, the gagging, the binding her, her jaw was actually broken. They left her there on the bed and continued to raid the house for anything they need, had a meal, and then they left. I don't believe they actually ended up to harm her any further, but unfortunately after they left some time, she actually died of suffocation from complications with the broken jaw and the gag in her mouth. Five days later, on March 16th of 1948, Teresa's gardener and her maid discovered her body in the home and immediately alerted authorities to what had happened. The authorities assumed that it was the two men, and they put out a reward for the capture of the two young men. Majors and Palakiko were both found trying to steal a car a few days later and ended up being put back in jail. Now, I don't know if it was a thing with he felt guilty or he just didn't want to serve prison time or what it was, but James Majors, he attempted suicide while in prison by drinking a large amount of iodine. He was discovered by the guards before he had passed and was taken to the prison hospital where he had his stomach pump. He was able and fit to stand trial, and on April 16th of 1948, both men were charged with first-degree murder. James Majors, he pled not guilty to the murder, and John Palakiko chose to actually postpone his plea. Though, regardless of what their plea was, on June 18th of 1948, they were both tried for the murder of Therese Wilder. Both were found guilty of first-degree murder, and their sentences were death by hanging. On September 13th of 1951, just a few years later, the two men were scheduled for their execution. Their lawyer was working this entire time on their behalf, and with just two minutes to spare as they were walking to their gallows, the governor, Orrin Long, actually issued them a stay of execution. The reasons he was able to do this were actually two reasons. Number one, Palakiko and Major's lawyer actually was able to show evidence that the two men's confessions were forced. 
also, she showed that there was a big disparity in racial biasing on assigning the death penalty. And what this means if you were a Polynesian person, a Hispanic person, really anybody of color, you were more likely to get the death penalty than if you were a white person. Three years later, in 1954, Governor Samuel King changed their sentence from the death penalty to 90 years in prison. And in 1962, Governor John Burns actually changed their sentence yet again to probation. And in 1963, the two were actually out on a two-year parole. Which, you gotta think, is pretty amazing. Twelve years before this, they had both been on their way to the gallows, and now they were out on parole. John Palakiko ended up breaking his parole pretty quickly and ended up having to return to jail. He ended up passing away in prison in 1974 at the young age of 46. Now, you might wonder what happened to James Majors. He actually ended up completing his parole in 1968 and is said to have disappeared or moved to Maui, where he lived till he died in 2009. I did look up the genealogy records for him, and I did find the records of the man in Maui under the name James Majors who died in 2009. Though, this man actually cannot be James Majors from this story, as this man is actually over two years older than the inmate. We don't know what actually happened to him. I'm assuming he probably didn't want to be remembered for this crime his whole life, so he probably tried to stay low or who knows what happened to him. But I do want to give a fun fact about this case is this was pretty much the cornerstone case. It was really instrumental in ridding Hawaii of the death penalty altogether. I found this interesting. I'm not taking a side on whether the death penalty is good or bad. I will never take a political stance on this podcast. Remember, this is a paranormal podcast, not a political one. I'm just going to be giving you the facts of each case. And when I find a fun fact, you get to hear it too. Now you may wonder what the haunted reports are with Miss Therese Wilder's case. What you will hear is the screams of Therese Wilder. You will also feel an overwhelming sense of danger. And others report seeing her apparition standing on the road. But there are actually no really EVPs of this. There are no recordings, no pictures, no footage. Just a lot of pretty much hearsay and creepiness. Wilder's home is actually now torn down and has become a condominium complex. And what I found interesting is, number one, there are no reports of Therese Wilder haunting the original home she lived in or the condo complex where her home was. I find this interesting as you would think maybe there was a residual haunting event or such a tragic event trapped her spirit in the house, but she is only said to be haunting the road. My only theory on why this could be is her body stayed in the house for five days. Her ghost may be haunting the road, trying to warn people like, hey, I'm in here, come help me, or something like that, and now she's stuck. 
continuing to try and get people to help her or just warning them of what happened to her. Another interesting fact I found is it was really, really difficult to find any reports of how Therese was actually haunting the road. 99.9% of what I found was the same repeated story of what happened to her and how tragic and horrible of an event was. There's not a lot of haunted reports, and I'm not sure if she actually haunts here, but this did happen, and it is possible that she's trying to warn people to help her. I'm now going to move on to story number two, and this is a story of a young man and a young woman, and they were out on a date. They were driving down the new Anupali Road when they came across Morgan's Corner and decided to pull over. And you could probably guess what two young people might be doing in a car parked alone in the dark. I'll let you figure that out. But it was dark. I mean, it's a sharp S-curve turn, so they didn't want people to hit their car. So what the gentleman decided to do was he would leave the headlights on. That way, if someone came around the corner, they wouldn't smash into their car. So after the couple was done relaxing in the car, they tried to start the car and head back home. But because the headlights had been left on, the car battery was dead and the car wouldn't start. The young man decides to go get help. I mean, this is before cell phones. So he tells the girl to wait in the car while he walks to get help from the local police. The girl's waiting for quite a while and eventually ends up falling asleep. She's awoken by a gentle tapping on her window, and when she opens her eyes, she sees the police officers knocking on her window. She opens the car door, and they help her out of the car, leading her towards the parole car, telling her, all is okay now, just keep looking forward, walk with them to the police car. She gets a little weirded out because they're being very strange, making sure she keeps looking forward. So, of course, when anybody tells you to look forward, what do you do? We all look back. It's human nature. And she does that and immediately wishes she had not. When she looks back, she does see her boyfriend, but he's not as she remembers him. He's actually hanging upside down from a tree over the car, and he's dead. There are two... Well, there's multiple accounts, but the two other accounts that go with this is she actually wakes up because she hears tree branches scraping against the car, but she finds out it's actually his fingertips scraping the car. And in another version, she falls asleep to rain on her hood that wakes her up. And in another version, she's sleeping and wakes up because she hears rain on the car, but it's actually his blood. For any of you familiar with any of those early 90s movies like I Know What You Did Last Summer or Urban Legend or really you just listen to Urban Legends, no matter where you live across the world you've probably heard this version or something along the lines of The Hook which is pretty much a thing trying to warn people to be abstinent and not fool around with their boyfriends in the car. This story 100% did not happen. This was in no newspaper accounts dating all the way back into the 1800s on the island of Oahu at all. Also, this is another story where this story is repeated over and over and over 
but there is no information on the haunting. Is the murdered boyfriend seen hanging from a tree? Is he walking down the road? Is he trying to be frisky with another girl? There's no reports of this. I'm now going to move on to the third story, and this story is of a young girl named Brittany Lockman. She wasn't really happy with her home life and ended up running away from home and ended up at Morgan's Corner. She climbed one of the local banyan trees all the way up into the high branches and then hung herself from the tree branch. This is a little bit of a remote area. There's lots of greenery. You know, Hawaii is a beautiful place. And it was hard to actually spot her. So while people were looking for her, it took them several days to find her. And by the time they found her with the humidity and everything, her body had actually become unattached from her head so that only her head was in the noose. And to hold a funeral for her, they actually had to reattach her head for the viewing. With the hauntings of Brittany Lockman, you will see a girl sitting on the side of the road and she's holding her severed head in her hand. When you approach her, she vanishes. You'll also see her wandering without her head at all or see her body hanging from the tree. And sometimes if you listen closely, you actually will hear her crying. Now, before I get into the facts of what happened to Brittany, I do want to get into the fourth story really quickly. This is the story of a young girl, and she was on Morgan's Corner using her favorite jump rope to just kind of play around and be a little kid. Someone then attacked, raped, and murdered this little girl. And how they murdered her is they took her favorite jump rope, tied it around her neck, and choked her to death. They then threw her body in the bushes right near the road and left her there to rot. Yeah, people are great, right? With the ghost of this girl, you will actually see a girl with long black hair jumping rope. Though she doesn't exactly jump rope like you and me would. She actually floats in the air as she's jumping rope. When you see this girl and meet her gaze, you will notice that half of her face is missing. Her cheeks, her nose, and her mouth are gone. The only noticeable feature is her bulging eyes, which are said to be from her being strangled to death. And a little gross fact here, her face missing is due to not only decomposition, but probably, you know, wildlife in the area, something you don't really want to think of. As far as the reports of this girl jumping rope and the reports from Brittany Lockman, is there are no records of a death on this road or even on the island like these in the newspaper articles. These are definitely urban legends that did not happen, and these two girls are not haunting Morgan's Corner. But the fifth story I'm going to get into is a true story. And this story happened in 1975, and it's the story of two 13-year-old girls named Cherry McCoy and Dawn Bustamante. The girls were hanging out together when they were kidnapped at gunpoint at Morgan's Corner by a man who was said to be in the military. The man held Dawn and Cherry at gunpoint, and with Cherry under the gun, 
he ended up raping Dawn and then knocking her out with the butt of his gun. He then moved on to Cherry, and he began choking her, and as she felt she was going to pass out, Dawn luckily woke up. Dawn shook it off. She knew she was in danger and just booked it off into the bushes. The kidnapper thought that Cherry was passed out and immediately got up and took after Dawn. Cherry, she shook it off too, and she ran in the opposite direction that Dawn and the kidnapper had went into. She kept running, dodging different branches and everything when she heard a gunshot. She said that she immediately knew in her heart that the kidnapper had shot and killed her friend Dawn, but she was terrified. She kept running. She wanted to get help, but she hid until morning because she was terrified that the man would hear and find her. Luckily for Cherry, she was able to eventually find a man with a cell phone, call for help, and then she was rescued. Unfortunately, she was correct, and Dawn was actually found dead and murdered by the kidnapper. She is now said to wander and haunt Morgan's Corner. As I said, this is a true story of a kidnapping and murder that happened in 1975. Both of the girls were not kidnapped at Morgan's Corner, though. They were actually kidnapped at a local market. They were then taken to an area behind a golf course where the incident happened with where the girls were raped and the murder took place. This is eight miles from Morgan's Corner. So again, while it is a true story, there would be no reason for these two young girls to haunt this area. Dawn, if she was haunting anywhere, would be maybe behind where the golf course was. I'm now going to move on to the sixth story, and this is probably the most interesting story, is this road is said to be patrolled by the spirit of a dog. The dog is said to start off as a small white dog. That is, if you follow the rules. It is said that when you are on the New Anupali Road and you are crossing over Morgan's Corner, that you better not be carrying pork with you. It doesn't matter if it's ham, bacon, pork chops, don't do it. Because if you do, you will have some problems. Your car will either get in an accident, it will break down, there will be something that happens to it. If your car breaks down, the dog will come up and sniff around, try to get you through the car. If your car remains drivable, he will chase you down. And as he's around you, the longer you have the pork, the dog will get bigger and bigger and is said to have even gotten larger than a car. There are only two ways to get rid of the beast. Number one, pretty standard, is you have to get rid of the pork. You can either do this by feeding it to the dog, throwing it out of the car, whatever way you want to get rid of it. I maybe wouldn't recommend eating it, but definitely don't keep it in your car. If for some reason you don't want to get rid of your pork, you really need that bacon for your dinner, there is another way to get rid of the dog. And that is you have to get out of your car and pee on it. Yes, you must pee on your car. Now, if you're a man, 
might be a little easier. If you're a woman, I don't know if maybe you have to climb on top of the car to do this, but either way, there is a giant dog that is big as your car patrolling around trying to get you. I might go with option number one. It is said that this superstition likely arose due to the road being built over sacred land. But apparently this dog is a representation of the volcano deity and goddess Pele. Her legend, Pele and Kamapua, who is a half-human, half-pig, had a relationship together. But the relationship didn't end well, and they had a pretty big falling out. There are many variations on what happened between these two, but at the end, the two never agreed to see each other again. What they did is it was kind of like a, you stay on your side of the island, I'll stay on mine, and we'll be good. So what Pele sees is if you bring pork around, it's like you are bringing a piece of her previous lover over, you are breaking their agreement, and she's not happy with it. So she is going to try and get you. There is another variation of this story, and that includes either the pork has to be raw to upset Pele, so you're good with your junior bacon, or she only gets upset if you bring pork after dark. But regardless, maybe just don't bring pork and you're good to go. There's one story I also wanted to throw in. It's a really short one. It's actually 50 feet from Morgan's Corner, but it seems like a good association. Is off to the side, 50 feet from the corner, there's a lot of shrubbery and bushes blocking it, but there are actually a set of lava steps that are said to be haunted. If you find the steps and you walk up the steps at midnight, you will count that there are 12 steps. But if you walk back down, there are 13 and no one can figure out why. The last account of spirits and hauntings on the island I have are the reports and sightings of the night marchers. The night marchers are the ghosts of ancient warriors who continue to roam much of the island, protecting the island of Oahu. So they are not just on Morgan's Corner, but they are spotted in the area, so I did want to include them. When the night marchers are spotted, they're usually in a very large group, and you can easily see them as they all carry around torches to light their way through the jungles of Hawaii. You will hear them beating their drums as they march and hear the sounds of them chanting. They all appear to be dressed in their war attire and sport various archaic weaponry such as spears, bow and arrows, and hatchets. They usually appear only at night, and like the young girl who jump ropes in the air, they also float as they march. Now, the scary part about the night marchers is if you look a night marcher in the eye, you will actually be forced to walk among them for all eternity. And while living in Hawaii for the rest of your life might sound amazing, I'm not sure marching with the night marchers for all eternity is what you had in mind. So if you do not want to walk among them for all eternity, I would recommend that you follow the following things. If you come across a night marcher, you should immediately lie down on your stomach and face down looking at the ground to avoid eye contact at all costs. 
Also, you should stay extremely quiet and do not move so that you do not call attention to yourself. The marchers, if they come across you, will sometimes nudge you to get you to react. If you react and look at them, they can then take you. So before you visit this area, maybe you should practice playing possum. Now, some of the general things that are said about the area is it is no matter how happy people are, you could be hanging out with your friends, laughing in the car, singing in the radio, hiking up, telling a joke, whatever it may be. As soon as you hit Morgan's Corner, all of those good feelings go away. You'll get goosebumps, you'll feel a heavy feeling, and the mood quickly becomes dark, and everyone in your party will feel the same thing. There's also tall shadows that are reported as high as seven feet tall. Some other haunted reports include you'll hear consistent snapping of twigs as if someone is walking through the bushes and trees and even see the bushes and shrubbery moving. You can also hear voices emanating from the foliage and will feel various cold spots throughout the area, even if it's a hot, balmy evening. I can attribute the sounds of the snapping and the moving of the bushes. There's a lot of animals, wildlife in there. As far as the voices, that I can't really say. Maybe they're the voices of the night marchers. I don't know. But all in all, out of all of the reported deaths here, only one actually occurred near Morgan's Corner, and that is of Therese Wilder. Remember, it didn't occur on the road, but in her home, and there are no haunted reports in her home. So again, she could be haunting the road, trying to tell people her body is there, but I'm not sure that a human spirit actually does haunt here. And as far as the deities and spirits of the Hawaiian people, such as Pele and the Night Marchers, I don't know. This is Hawaiian culture. They have so much history and lore. And who am I to say what is true and not true of their beliefs? Who knows? Anyway, I would love to hear your thoughts on whether you think Morgan's Corner is haunted or not. I'd love to hear any personal experiences you have had, proof, other facts you'd like to share. I'd also love to hear your feedback on this episode and any suggestions you may have for a future episode, especially one that's in your state. Make sure you tune in every Wednesday, wherever you tune in, and don't forget to leave a review. I'd recommend a five-star, but again, I may be biased. And also make sure you follow the podcast so you know as soon as a new episode is ready and just show a little bit of love. Also follow the podcast social media for more information on each episode, including pictures, links, and much, much more. You can follow us on Facebook at Paranormal Exposed, on Instagram, at the Paranormal Truth, or you can always email at paranormalexposedpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next Wednesday.